Hey, guys. I uh, just want to mention if you want to actually get a hold of us and uh, talk to us, communicate us with us in any way, uh, you can hire a psychic medium. Because um, we, 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 we're dead. We can we can use the email address that we created. Dead people can use email now? No, no. They can use the email to send us emails and tell us what they do or don't like about the show, send us some ideas for cool things to talk about. Also, it's what an would email. be your icebreaker easy. with St. Peter? That would be an interesting That'd thing an to inter- know. Yeah. What would be your icebreaker? <laughs> we want to hear that. Email us at? Uh, John and Rod. What your icebreaker? At gmail.com. What your icebreaker with St. Peter would be? John, John and Rod. Rod at email at gmail.com. <laughs> John and Rod at gmail.com. Dot com. You think dead people would be using AOL.com, but back for another episode of Wanna Hear Something Cool. Uh just discussing movies, TV, and music facts and putting our own little spin and taste on it. Really like we're just two guys who who Love really trivia. like movies, TV, yeah. and music, but we like them and we hate them too. Like we're just <laughs> passionate about it. It's it's a very love hate relationship. Uh, my first fact is about television. All right, what it's do you a, got? About Full House. Um, okay. I just I'm just gonna say this up front. I hate the show Full House. Yeah, I I've never say, enjoyed I can't anything about we're talking about Full House. It's the most saccharine, fake, garbage show where people always learn something at the end of an episode. And plus, Dave Kuei is awful. He's the worst. Kuei. And he was I like, it was a Kuei oh, he's so or... funny, Uncle Joey. Yeah, no, yeah, he's awful. Yeah. No, awful. when I remember when I was a kid once, some kid in like the third grade told me, you're really funny. You're just like Uncle Joey on Full House. And I almost punched him in the nuts. <laughs> punched him right in the nuts. Um, anyway, so Full House, and we'll get into the whole Fuller House thing on Netflix in a minute. On that show, I love this fact because it just shows what craven, horrible people <laughs> the parents of child actors are. Right. Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen. Uh, Michelle on right. the show. The twins playing one baby because you can only have a baby under the hot lights for so long at a time. Right. So usually if there's a baby on screen, it's played by twins. Twins, right. Um, they nearly left the show after the first season because their real-life mother was concerned about them missing out on having a normal childhood. But then, after a significant raise in salary from the show's producers... Suddenly she's not so She worried. agreed to let them continue. Oh, God. I'm worried that what we're doing is affecting my children. It's going to scar them because they're missing out on having a normal life. Oh, well, how about this big pile of money? What if we gave you more money? Wait, wait, wait. Money? Oh, Um, you know what? You know what? I'm not so worried. Yeah, it's almost like she was using the whole my children are missing out on a normal (laughs) childhood thing to get more money, and she was never really interested in them at all and was just prostituting them out. Prostatot. Yeah. Prostatot. That's awful. Yeah, because she's a terrible, terrible person. Oh, my God. Li- and I know if this happened, we wouldn't have child actors anymore. But honest to God, either you need to have heavy, heavy regulations on child actors and what happens to their money, and the parents cannot fucking touch their money. Cannot touch their money. And I don't know if there's any way legally you can do that, where it's just put yeah, into a savings account or a trust until the kids are 18. Other or than at least that, a percentage or something. I guarantee, if you did that, though, no one would get their children into acting. No one would do it anymore, and I'd be okay with that. Oh no, we wouldn't have the first Star Wars movie because we wouldn't have had a child <laughs> actor in it. Now, twelve. You've or, got to move on past that. <laughs> twelve or thirteen, fine. 
even voice actors, if a kid's a voice actor on a show, fine. But well, then I say that, but then uh, that guy, the guy who played Charlie Brown, just went to prison because he had a fucked up life. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know. I don't. I just to me, hey, look what it did to Drew Barrymore. I hate. I yeah. She's just lunatic. Now. She's. It seems like she's calmed down. We she's heard gotten better. I don't know. But I, I still think she's a lunatic. Um, what's the the kid? The not Ben. Uh, Randy said no. What is the kid's name? He was from know. Wonder Years. The Wonder Years. Oh yeah. Um, he's on the grinder now. Yeah. Sav- Fred Savage. Fred, Fred Savage. Savage. Yeah. He seems okay. He was the mole and. Uh, but. And actually, uh, we're going to talk about this in a minute. My movie, uh, Christian Bale. This isn't the fact that I have about the movie, but Christian Bale took the role in American Psycho because he thought it was going to destroy his career. Like, because he was a child actor, he was in Empire of the Sun, and he was in a bunch of stuff when he was that. a kid. Yeah, he was a child actor, and he hated acting. He didn't want to do it anymore unless it was stuff that he really wanted to do, and right, stuff that was, was kind of edgy and cool. About, yeah. So he wanted to destroy his career, and people told him, "If you take this American Psycho thing, no, no, it's you're you're Deadsville, baby." And he went, "Oh, cool. I'm, I'm going to take that because hopefully it will destroy my career." That shows oh, how fucked up being a child actor pad. makes you. Yeah. All right. What's your TV fact? My TV fact is about Monty Python. And the, wait, first you were going to talk about Fuller House. Oh, oh, god. Uh, so they're bringing back Fuller House. You know what the premise of Fuller House is? I have no idea. I've just heard that Netflix is. Brought back Full House as Fuller House, and the twins have nothing to do with it. Okay, so DJ Tanner, who was the older girl in okay. Full House, actually kind of hot now. I don't remember the actress's name, but if you're listening, you know, yeah. my, my dick would like your vagina. <laughs> I'm not saying it has to happen. I'm just saying they could be friends. <laughs> anyway, so DJ Tanner, her husband dies. By the way, her name is DJ Tanner Fuller. Nuh-uh. And by the way, if you'd like to be fuller. Would stop it. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> You're grossing me out. Anyway, DJ Tanner Fuller, which I hate when they do that stuff. When they it's like let's have uh if it was like House of Cards, but the main character's name last name was Cards. Yeah. Or something, yeah. you know. It's like seven and the Brad Pitt's character's name is, name seven. is seven. Yeah, Detective Seven. Detective Seven. I just I hate that stuff. So her name is DJ Tanner Fuller. Her husband dies. And she's got three kids. And so... That sounds vaguely familiar. It's the same thing as the first show! (laughs) So then she gets Jodie Sweetin, uh, who played Stephanie on the show. But uh, the twins won't come back because their mother destroyed their lives. And they don't want to have anything to do with acting anymore. The twins won't come back. They don't want to do the show. you would technically only be able to use one of them anyways. Right. That's true. That's true. They would have only needed one. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Only one of them uh, would be And then the ugly girl that lived next door to him. Gumbo, what was her name? I don't know. Becky Gibbler. Gibbler. That's what it was. I honestly watched the show a couple of times. I, I did. I, here's the weird thing about it. I never watched it. As far as I can remember, I never watched the show like entirely. Never watched. It was always on. I would be walking through the living room and be like, oh, this show. Yeah. I knew of it. I'd seen bits from it. People talked about it all the time. It was such a part well, of. Stamus was huge. Yeah. It was such a part of the consciousness growing up that it's in there, and I know all the stuff about the show, and I don't want to know it. I want it out. Bob Saget was actually funny, and you know his stand-up career tanked. Well, but it a lot of it was because he did America's Funniest Home Videos and Full House, and then he go out on tour, and people go, 
oh, he's a sweet family comedian. Let's take yeah. the kids. And he'd go in there and be like, I was sucking some guy's dick yesterday. <laughs> and people just running from the from yeah. the venue. What's funny is uh, I think that Full House killed his career less than America's Funny Some Videos. And the reason why <laughs> is because fun, Full House, you can say, okay, well, you know, he's just playing a character. He's just right, playing a role. Right. But on America's Funny Some Videos, he was that guy. Yeah. He was doing all the lame, yeah, I'm a dog. Yeah, look at me. Oh, no, all the fans coming for me. Put down that machete. That kind of stuff. <laughs> Actually, if that was a description of a video, that would have been so much funnier. <laughs> so much better. That video. So I think, I think. Uh, America's Funniest Videos actually killed his career more. So anyway, that's the premise of the show. The Fuller House is the same thing it's just as a before. Re- total redux it's of like, the guys, original. Guys, we get it. Like nineties well, kids heard, are I, the most nostalgic little son of a bitches oh, you'll God, ever meet. Yes. And instead, and it, to the point where, okay, like seventies kids were nostalgic. So what did we get? That seventies show. Fifties right. kids were nostalgic. So what did we get? Happy, Happy days. Nineties kids are nostalgic. So what do we get? Fuller House. The same fucking show <laughs> again. That's how nostalgic we are. We get Fuller House and the X-Files. Yeah, even us lame 80s folk, we, we've got the Goldbergs, which is yeah. actually funny. That's a great show. It's a great show. Give me my show. <laughs> yeah, we have to bring everything back as it was. So anyways, my TV thing is Monty Python's Flying Circus. Mm-hmm. I love Monty Python's Flying me Circus. Me too. Uh, the original show was on BBC from 69 to 74. It was really funny. Uh, very strange show, obviously. Nothing like it before. Blah, blah, blah. What I think is interesting, the fact that I got is, and it's very personal to me, is that the first television station in the United States to broadcast episodes of Monty Python's Flying Circus was the PBS station KERA in Dallas. Now, I grew up in Dallas, and I watched this show as a kid. It started in 74. After it had already been canceled by the BBC, it was available for other people to pick up to show in syndication. And so Channel 13, which in Dallas, where I lived, it was Channel 13, KERA, the PBS, they started on Sunday nights showing British comedies. And Monty Python and Benny Hill were the two big ones. That's I, No offense to your hometown. But I wouldn't think that a station in Dallas would be the first right. ones to broadcast British comedies. You, you would think, think so. it would be uh, New York is, or Boston. KERA in Dallas viewed themselves as rather altsy. And so they tried to be very sophisticated. You know what it was? And they thought that British humor was sophisticated humor. Right, because they're in Dallas. Right. That's what it was. New York and Boston would be like, okay, we don't need to try so hard. We're right. New York and Boston, even Seattle or right. whatever. But Dallas is like, okay. They're, they're tried so hard not to be right. the Texas station, the Dallas station. Right. That they wanted to do something European and, and fancy. They're like the girl who grows up in the suburbs and, uh, you know, is like, I, I hate capitalism. And yeah. you know what? You know who I'm going to vote for? Uh, Bernie Sanders is a capitalist. He's a crony capitalist at heart because he's taking all this money. Uh, I'm actually going to vote for Andrew Jackson because he's dead. And I'd rather have a dead man in office because then at least I can trust a dead man. Yeah. Basically, the station was like that. Yeah. But they happened to do something amazing. Well, and like I said, they wanted to do sophisticated British humor. So they got Benny Hill and Monty Python, which is just... Fart jokes and knickers and, you know, it's just, <laughs> but as a kid, for me personally, uh, 
I loved it. And my grandmother, of all people, loved, I don't know why, but she loved Benny Hill. And so Sunday nights, we would stay up late, and we would watch Benny Hill and then Monty Python. And I got about half the jokes, and but I would giggle when Grandma giggled, you know, and I grew up liking it. And then finding out later these movies and, you know, all this Monty Python. And I think it, for me personally, uh, started is what really started to develop my sense of humor. Uh, I really think that had three big influences on my sense of humor as a child. Monty Python, Saturday Night Live, and The Muppet Show. Mm. Those were the biggest things that helped, other than your normal WKRP in Cincinnati and Mark and Mindy and whatever was on TV, those were my three big things that I never missed, that I always made sure to watch as a child, were... Monty Python, Saturday Night Live, and The Muppet Show. For me, it was Conan O'Brien. The yeah. first time I stayed up late and watched Conan, and I, I immediately got it. And I was blown away by how much they made fun of themselves. And it made me go, oh, I can just make fun of myself. Yeah, it's okay. I, I don't have to feel bad for not being cool yeah. because that's funny. Yeah. Be, not being cool is funny. People like it when you're not cool, so long as you're aware that you're not cool. Right. And uh, that led me into the absurdist comedy of of Monty Python and, and that kind of stuff, too. And um, one question, though, going back to your grandma loving Benny Hill yeah. and everything. Was your grandma a lesbian? <laughs> no. Not too personal a question, but was your grandma No, she was not. No, you sure? But she did like to slap bald men on the head and be chased in her knickers. Oh, okay. <laughs> like that was, hey, rock him over this Saturday. We're going <laughs> to have a little ball chase you slap again. and chase. Chase me in my knickers. That's why you've held on to your hair. So <laughs> I'm not going to be like one of those men. What men, Rod? <laughs> the men that chased my grandma around. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> uh, all right, so let's go to movies. My fact is about the movie American Psycho. Christian Bale, probably the most famous scene in that movie. Remember we were talking about Ghostbusters having yeah, all those yeah. great ad-lib lines in it? Yeah. Christian Bale improvised the scene with Jared Leto where he hits him with the axe and yeah. you know tried to get a, uh, a reservation at Bellagio now yeah, or whatever yeah, it was. Yeah. Um, he improvised, not the entire scene, it was scripted, but the moonwalking bit. Oh, really? Like when he's dancing around? Yeah. And and he didn't think they were going to keep the take. He's dancing around with the axe and doing the moonwalk and stuff, but the director watched it, and she said while she was watching it, she collapsed in a fit of laughter, and he just kept going, and they kept it. They kept the take because wow. she was like, no, 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 I want the audience to have that reaction. I don't want them to feel afraid. I want them to be laughing along with him and wanting him to kill this guy right? because the whole movie's about – like not a, a sympathetic murderer, no, but, but a murderer who's supposed to be representative of American culture, right? And, and the so whole I don't want them. And, and yeah, yeah, that that douche actually deserves an act. But the funny thing is, Brett Easton Ellison, who wrote it, hated that scene because of the same reason. He's like, the audience is laughing; they're not supposed to laugh. They're supposed to be taking my work seriously. Yeah, but that's what makes that yeah, a good that, movie. That's what makes that a great. But, movie. I mean, this the whole him talking about the brilliance of. Uh, uh, Huey Lewis well, that was in the there. news. That was in there. I, and I know, okay, but, yeah. but that stuff is what makes that such a good movie. And he wasn't, the way he delivers those lines was also uh, ad-libbed or improvised. He wasn't supposed to deliver those lines like, hey, do you like Huey Lewis in the news? Yeah. He was supposed to be like, hey, do you like Huey Lewis in the news? I mean, I like their first album, Sports. It's really good. And blah, blah. He was supposed to say all that stuff, but he wasn't supposed to do it with the energy he had. Right. Like and he, he was thought, Casey Kasem. And he thought like, okay, this is going to get tanked, but I'm going to try it. It's going to be funny. 
And it was. And when you watch that movie with the frame of mind that Christian Bale was trying to destroy his career and put in one of the best acting performances of our generation, that is incredible. That is awesome. Makes me want to go on air and just destroy my my career. I'm just going to go on air on radio and be like, hey, what's up, cocksuckers? You guys love sperm. <laughs> Anyway, your movie fact, sir. Uh, my movie fact is the movie Seven, uh, which is a great movie. Mm-hmm. Everybody likes the movie Seven. I think it's very interesting. Um, Kevin Spacey was obviously a huge star when he was cast in Seven. And as they were finishing the movie and discussing promoting the film and all this stuff, Kevin Spacey and the directors and producers all sat down and talked about it. And supposedly it was Kevin Spacey's idea that he's like, I can't be in any of the trailers. I shouldn't even be mentioned as being in the film. Because if you tell people I'm in the film and they don't see me within the first two minutes, they're going to know I'm the bad guy. And they're going to spend the whole film anticipating my arrival and they're not going to enjoy it as much. And it's not going to have the dramatic impact that it needs right. for the film. Because if you're watching that knowing Kevin Spacey's in it, the whole time you're going to go, hey, where's Kaiser yeah, Soze? So why haven't I seen, why, where's yeah, he at? Why haven't I, I seen Kevin oh, Spacey? Oh, I bet he's the bad guy because yeah. I haven't seen him. And that was his, his point to the directors and producers. So they made all the trailers and all the promos for the film, never mentioned him one time. He wasn't in any trailer. And then when you watch the movie and they have the opening credits and they're showing directed by and it's Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman, his name is nowhere. The mm-hmm. only place his name appears is at the very end credits, John Doe, Kevin Spacey. That's awesome. And I just think that's really cool that, first of all, he was more concerned about the impression of the film than he was his name being out he there. He was about the product, not Right, his about ego. the product and not his ego. Exactly. Yeah. And the fact that that everybody agreed. Instead of going, well, no, we need to let people know that we have three big stars in this. Yeah, it's amazing that the the movie was allowed to be marketed like yeah. that. Like that the well, but I, I if I remember correctly, um, the studio did not want that movie to be made. Well, I know there was a lot of controversy about the film because it was so dark and so effed up. Well, no, I think it was it wasn't until they got Brad Pitt on board. That they even had a shot of making the movie. Oh, really? Yeah. That, there's some story. I, I, we'll we'll revisit it in a, a future episode. I'll I'll have that as my fact in the yeah. next episode. But there's something about they didn't want that movie to be made, and David Fincher did something crooked and weird to get it to get it made. And oh, by the way, the uh, scene where the head is delivered. Yeah. I maybe I shouldn't have said that. Spoiler for ah, fuck you. If you haven't seen the movie, <laughs> How fucking long fuck is that you. Movie Never out, mind. Yeah. Um, anyway, where the scene is delivered, that, that guy who delivered it, the, he had no idea what he was delivering. Um, the guy who's dropping off the head in the box, the, the actor or whatever. He, he, that's why he, like when he comes on the scene, he's very nonchalant about it or whatever. He doesn't know he's in this movie and he's delivering a head. David Fincher didn't tell him that. He thought like, it'll be, be, yeah. A delivery guy wouldn't know. Because he was like, I don't want there to be any hint even like uh, in his face, emotionally, whatever, that will betray what's going on right. here. Uh, and I love stuff like that. I, like in um, Raging Bull, you've seen Raging Bull, right? Uh, it's been years, okay. but yeah. So one of the most famous scenes in Raging Bull is the scene where um, Robert De Niro is talking to Joe Pesci and he keeps saying, uh, did you fuck my wife? 
Did you fuck my wife? Yeah, yeah. And Joe Pesci's like, no, man. No, what the fuck are you talking? Fuck you. How could you say that to me? And Joe Pesci looks like really upset, right? Because Robert De Niro actually was not asking him, did you fuck my wife? Robert De Niro, the actual line he's saying to him and that they edited out and, and brought back as, did you fuck my wife? The actual thing he was saying to him to get Joe Pesci's reaction was, did you fuck your mother? Did you fuck your mother? Really? And so the whole time Joe Pesci's like, no! Oh, God, man! How could you... Oh, it's disgusting! Oh! Yeah. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. I love stuff like that. I know uh, I know. in... Um, oh, what's the damn movie? In Die Hard, where Hans Gruber gets dropped and he's just shocked. Yes! He love wasn't this. supposed to be dropped. Yeah. He, it was well, the, no, he didn't know he was going to be dropped. Right, that's yeah. what I mean. He yeah. wasn't, it, as far as he knew, they were just shooting this scene and he was going to be hanging on and then they were going to cut and do it, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and they, and, but they told the guy, no, let go of him. Yeah. And it was totally <laughs> safe, you know, but yeah, his reaction of just shock and horror is genuine because he had no idea they were going to let go of him and that it was all set up for him to be safe. Uh, Rest in peace, Hans Gruber. Oh, yeah. Or whatever. What was that guy's actual name? It was Hans Gruber. Anyway. It was Hans Gruber. Alan yeah. Rickman, who who became Hans Gruber. Right. Uh, and changed his name legally to Hans Gruber. <laughs> totally should have. Got that role. He was like 40-ish. He had not been successful in acting. Yeah, it was like his first doing anything. Role, it was his really, first yeah. movie role. He hadn't been in an, like starring in a play uh, on the East End, which is where all the big, it's like, London's Broadway. Right, right. He hadn't been in a big play on the East End until he was like 35 or 36. And then he wasn't in a movie till he was in his mid-40s. And that's that was the first movie yeah. he was in. He landed in, in Los Angeles. Two days later, he's Hans Gruber. That's awesome. Yeah. that's Well, and he went on to be uh, Snape and yeah. all that. Which, you know what pissed me off? when he after he, Obviously, I was upset that he passed away. But everybody's no, you arguing, I remember you being real happy. Everybody's <laughs> arguing about Hans Gruber versus Snape and all this. Yeah. And all I kept thinking is, did none of you bastards see Dogma? Do you know how <laughs> fucking great he was in Dogma? He was just so... That role was so funny. He's this messenger and the, the angel, and it was, it was this perfect role for him. You know what? Uh, it was such a generational thing, because my brother texted me at like 5 o'clock in the morning... And went, oh no, Snape died. And I went, oh. fuck you, Hans Gruber died. Christ, he's high again. Because I didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. <laughs> so I Googled Snape and Hans, Hans yeah, Gruber yeah, could yeah. come up. And I, yeah, I immediately texted him back, fuck you, he's Hans Gruber to me, or at least the sheriff of Nottingham. <laughs> and do I, love, love him as Snape. Love the Harry Potter oh, books, yeah. love the movies, but he's Hans Gruber. He's Hans Gruber. He's Hans Gruber. Uh, all right. Last facts are about music. What's your music fact? My music fact is um, uh, you and I were recently talking about the Violent Femmes mm -hmm. and how much we love the Violent Femmes. And there's this famous story about how the Femmes were discovered. And it's I think it's very interesting. First of all, the Femmes started out in Milwaukee, late 70s. They were making music, doing their thing. They were weird and different. And nobody knew where to put them. Clubs didn't want to book them. They were a folk punk band. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So they were playing on the street. Um, if you look it up, it says they were busking. Busking, yep. Which I didn't know what the hell busking was. Busking I had is to, like. I had to go look it up. Yeah. I, yeah. To play music or otherwise perform voluntarily for donations on the street. Yeah. It's like anytime you go to, like if you go to the 
Sprint Center here yeah. in Kansas City, there's always some guy outside playing guitar and you know singing oh, yeah. like stripped and, down and covers of of uh, Metallica songs when, or whatever. We went to the one time I've been out of the country on a cool vacation. We went to London, and in the subways, there's always people oh, yeah. down there playing and stuff. But how cool would it have been to be in Milwaukee at that point? Yeah, and walk past the guys playing Blister in the Sun. Well, and and or anybody gone, that's, gone. anybody that's seen the films live knows that not only do they have these great songs, they have this amazing stage show. I mean, yeah. they're hilarious to watch, and the fact that they're playing such a small, stripped down set of of stand up bass and drums, and yep. it's great. So they're playing all over Milwaukee in the streets. There's a Pretenders show, and the Pretenders are huge at this point. Um, I'm a big fan, anyways. So they're like across the street from wherever it is they're playing and they're doing their thing trying to make money from people and the guitar player James Honeyman Scott happens to be out walking around and sees them and sees their show. It's like these guys are awesome. Like just amazing. So he goes in and gets Chrissy and is like you got to see these kids man and drags her out into the street and they stand there and watch the set for a while and Chrissy says you guys are great. Why don't you come in and play? Mm -hmm. And they literally put them on stage a couple of hours later between their opening act and them. Wow. And they walk out on stage and people are booing. <laughs> and reportedly in, in interviews and in stuff, people say that about halfway through the show, they won over a big part of the crowd. That people started to get into it and go, these guys are actually pretty good. I can't imagine going to a show. like Say you're going to the see, see the Foo Fighters. Right. And uh, I don't know, Arcade Fire or somebody opens for the Foo Fighters. And then between Arcade Fire and the Foo Fighters, Dave Grohl comes out and goes, uh, we're going to start in a minute, but we just found these guys. Because he's the only person in modern rock that I could see doing this. There might right. be others, but he's the only one that I could, right, I could right. think of. The first that comes that to mind. Do that would something, do something like, like that. Yeah. We just found these guys outside on the street playing. Two hours ago. So, yeah, you'll hear ever long. Okay, just shut the fuck up and listen to these guys. And you're going to think, oh, my God, what the hell is this is a joke? And then they start playing Add It Up? Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. It would be the best. Th and that's yeah, the story. That is the best concert story anybody who went to that concert. You could have been at Woodstock. You don't have a better story than that. <laughs> um. So what I think is interesting about this is um, I've read, I, I read recently an interview with the, the band themselves, and the guy asking them says, you know, the legend says that you guys were discovered by the pretenders in, in this thing. And uh, they're saying the guys in the band are like, no, it's absolutely a true story. They brought us in. They put us on stage. Um, they said, you know, it was one of the biggest deals ever. He said, but it, it, uh, hold on, let me find it here. It, was a, it, was a, it wasn't a break. It was a tremendous experience, but it didn't lead to us going on tour or getting more gigs or getting hooked up in the industry. It was just that thing that happened. So they went back to being street players the okay, next day. Yeah, but that's bullshit. There's no way they went back to they went back to being street players who had the credibility of opening for the Pretenders, and everybody knew it. I right. Mean, look, look, I mean, it definitely got the them Violet exposure. Were, were going. I think what he's saying is we didn't need the Pretenders to become a big band, and they didn't. The Violent Femmes had amazing songwriting, had amazing instrumentation. Had great songs. Gordon Gano had one of the best young voices of the time. Uh, they didn't need the Pretenders to be famous, but that doesn't mean that it, that show didn't help them. 
But when you hear that story, you assume that that was the what oh, directly and then they got a record led deal and everything. to them okay. getting a deal. Yeah, and but- that didn't happen. It didn't. It changed things. It got their name known a little bit, right? But it didn't change everything for them. That wasn't the thing. In right. fact, according to the band themselves, um, they think that their biggest break came when they got the chance to go to New York and open up for Richard Hell at CBGB's. Oh. And after that, there was a review by a guy, I think it was in Rolling Stone magazine, who said like two lines about Richard Hell, but wrote a whole article <laughs> about these amazing kids from Milwaukee that opened for him. And they were 18 when that was happening. Kate. I know. They were 18 when they recorded that first album. I do think this is a really cool thing, too. Um, um, the uh, Where the hell did it go? I just saw it. Oh, um, the guitar player for... Um, the Violent Films. Gordon Gano. Gordon Gano. Gordo says that uh, I still stretch my guitar strings out like James Honeyman Scott showed me. Like that was his. That was he remembered that. Yeah. He's yeah. like, you don't understand. It was such a big deal mm-hmm. that this the pretenders were taking us in and being kind to us. And this guy was showing me how to restring my guitar and do all this stuff. And I still, to this day, do it, exactly that, way. Do it that way because that's who showed me. He does it all the time. Isn't that cool? Just it's do, a cool story. Do it all the time. I love the Violent <laughs> I just bought the, uh, I found it at a record store, first edition uh, vinyl pressing of their first album, Violent Femmes. And I, I really think of that album and that them at that time as probably the best example of peaking too soon. Like, if they had taken that album and broken up the songs over three albums, oh, they would have yeah. been the biggest band in the world. But because they put everything into that first album, they wow. have an album that's up there with Nevermind oh, or yeah. or Rubber Soul. Uh, but instead, they just kind of ended up being this really cool band who everybody well, says their fairness, first album's really good. But It's amazing. But, and in all fairness, it took forever for that album to really catch fire. Yeah. I mean, it's slowly, you know, to underground credit got around and people knew it and they'd heard a couple songs but you know it came out in the early 80s 1980 yeah that's right it came out in 1980 we the 90s that's when i remember listening to violent films constantly yeah 10 years later was you know what i mean it took that long for every and now you go back and you find somebody that was a that was a music fan in the 90s they can probably recite most of the lyrics to that entire album. Yeah. Oh, my, I remember being on a school bus and we were singing um, a Kiss Off. Yeah. With the one, 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 because yeah. you left, man. Because everybody knows two. it. And that was like 1991. But uh, yeah, there was a saying about the Violent Femmes that you could, no matter how old you were, you could say, oh, listen to this new band. Yeah, that's listen true. Listen to this new band. If people weren't familiar with their music, they would think, oh, this is a new, they sound really cool. And if you took the Violent Femmes now, you took that first album and played it for somebody and they had no idea, they'd never heard Blister in the Sun because they'd never been to a baseball game, um, <laughs> they would think, wow, this is a cool new band because they just have a very classic, timeless sound. Um, my last music fact is about Foster the People and the song Pumped Up Kicks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two things. Uh, the guy, Foster, whatever his first name is, I don't know. The guy in the group, his right. name is something Foster. He has said that the song is not about an active school shooting. Everybody knows it. Yeah. All you... Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. With <laughs> I the disagree. pumped up kicks, better yeah. run, run, run. Faster than my gun. Run. Yeah. Yeah. 
All the other kids with the pumped up kicks better run, run. He says, no, it's just him thinking about doing it and, and threatening to do it. But it's never referenced in the song that he actually does anything other than he says he's got his daddy six shooter and a quick pull trigger, whatever. That's his claim on it though. And I think it's deflecting some of the controversy of the song. Right. Uh, the second fact is, though, and I just I love stuff like this because it just pisses me off so much. <laughs> MTVU censored the song when they played the video, dropping the audio anytime Foster sang gun or bullets. Oh, Jesus. So MTV, which is a station that had teen moms on it, had Sweet yeah. 16 parties and had any reference to, you know, banging as much as you want. And, yeah, and well, and just awful people. Awful people. You had Jersey Shore where a woman gets slapped and you show that, yeah. that's fine. Glorifying these jabronis on oh, the Jersey God. Shore, that's fine. Just the worst possible people. But the word gun and the word bullets. Gotta go. Can't have it. Although, in, in all fairness, MTV's had a reputation for that from the get I mean, they would censor the hell out of metal videos because of their, you know, uh, imagery and because of, you know, their violence and mm. because of, you know, all these things. But yet, you know, Michael Jackson or, or Duran Duran could do whatever they wanted in a video. Yeah, grab your crotch as much as yeah. you want. That's fine, buddy. That's fine. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's but a- show a pentagram and fire too much and we're taking <laughs> that video off. All right, that's good.